Welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast covering all franchises, one movie in one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snooney, and joined once again by my co-host, Lindsay Travis. Lindsay, how are we? I am good. Doing good, enjoying a fun Toronto summer, having a good time? Yes. Yeah, pretty much that. You know, mm-hmm. the Toronto summer is fleeting, and I am enjoying it while it lasts. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So by September, you'll be like bundled up in a parka. There'll be like eight inches of snow on the ground. and Yes, classic Canada. Excellent. By September, it'll be like anywhere between, you know, I don't know, your degrees, whatever. Anywhere between like 35 degrees and sunny, which Google it, that's hot, or like seven degrees and rainy. Okay. Um, but we love it. Sweater weather, baby. Excellent. I am looking forward to hoodie season. Mm-hmm. Um, f- some stores are now putting out like the Halloween decorations, and I am all for it. I think I'm going to start actually making some homemade decorations <gasps> for the yard again. Spicy. Um, I love that. Uh, I got into that last year during the pandemic. Like, I started looking up like home haunts and like people making their decorations and. I do not have a lot of skill in that department, okay. but there was definitely times where I'd be like recording, looking out the window and people would be like taking photos. It was really cool. I so, love that. Right. Um, so, I love that. So we have a very fun movie we're going to talk about tonight. We are here to talk about Annabelle Comes Home. And I'm really excited because I've wanted to have this guest on for a long time. He made a very brief appearance during our Dream uh, Dream Warriors episode mm-hmm. uh, where we got to talk about the curse of Craig Wasson. Um, and he is the co-host of the long-running podcast, I believe in your, the fourth year now, the long-running fifth year, holy jeez. Um, there by the grace of God, if we get there, let's see what happens. Uh, he is the co-host of Kill by Kill, a horror comedy podcast that also covers franchises and one-off movies by taking deep dives into the characters that makes those movies so special to the fans. Please welcome Patrick Hamilton to the show. Greetings and salutations, everyone. Very happy to be here. So glad to have you on. So glad to see that wonderful portrait of Bill Murray behind you as well i just keep staring at it. my eyes keep getting drawn to yeah it, so. um, Patrick, he's our um, patron has, saint in this house i love that has anyone ever told you that you have a hockey player name um well considering that my my dad was a canadian born in lethbridge alberta it's not unusual i also have two <sighs> middle names so it's about as irish as you can get um my it. parents were just kicked out of the country my grandfather became uh, the uh, a car king in uh, Alberta and to the point where he hosted like a, a variety show. Like oh my God. he was the person who brought talent acts back when local television would do that sort of thing. This was, this was all told to me well after his passing almost as in like 
oh, you wouldn't be interested in the fact that he was a TV host. I'm like, what are you? Why did you keep this information from this to me? Um, If you had ended that with, and also he played for the Boston Bruins for seven years, I would have been like, that sounds right. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Excellent. I was going to, I have nothing to add to that story. (laughs) I don't know. I was just like, huh? Nothing. Huh. All right. Um, So before we talk about the movie we are going to talk about, um, let's talk about why we aren't going to talk about a certain movie. Just really quickly, because I think there are some folks are going to ask, why aren't you talking about The Curse of La Llorona, which came out before this movie? And my answer to that is twofold. Um, Technically, it is not part of the Conjuring franchise, and I have a link here with to prove it. Um, I also kind of don't like that movie. And mm-hmm. if I could get off on a technicality to not have to cover it, um, it does screw up our plans a little bit because the last episode of the Conjuring series will come out first episode of September. And we got to figure oh. out like maybe a one-off to do for the second movie in September. So we have to kind of cheat a little bit, but that's all right. If it means not having to watch The Curse of La Llorona again, I am totally for it. So okay. really quick, like here's the quote from the director, Michael Chavis, or Chavis. Uh, let's see. This is from Dread Central. They got the exclusive down low on it. Um, and I had pulled up the link. Very simple reason why La Llorona is not part of the Conjuring universe is because it was made without one of the Conjuring franchise producers, so technically it cannot be fully embraced. That's the very simple reason. Originally, there was only supposed to be a playful nod to the franchise by putting the father in and having the Annabelle flash, but it wasn't supposed to be marketed that way. The plan was you would get into it, and then it's like, oh my God, they're connected. We weren't from the beginning supposed to be doing that, and that's why it has the outsider status. So not technically part of it. Um, I kind of remember that being the case when the movie came out. Um, and I remember it being the case because like the movie's not wasn't very good. And I think the producers of The Conjuring were like, we need to distance ourselves. <laughs> They're like, never movie. heard of it. Um, it's, it's the Fredo. Have they also watched yeah. the original Annabelle? Because if I were to... <laughs> <laughs> to gauge Truth. the actual activity of both of those films, while I don't think La Llorona is a, a blockbuster or the worst thing that's ever been, it's certainly a better motion picture than the original Annabelle, which has the cardinal sin of wasting Alfre Woodard, yes. like the cardinal okay. sin. That's that's a that's a fair uh, objection complaint. <laughs> Um, we did dive into this for a bit. We have spicy takes on the original Annabelle movie, mm-hmm. by which I mean I like it, but um, which is the you know spiciest what? take of all? Which is the spiciest take of all? Is that thank I God like. someone does really? Honestly. Yeah, you know. But yeah. I also like very much um, best up to the fact that I'm an easy sell for those types of movies. But yeah, excellent. Well, yeah. what I want to get, I want to get our opening thoughts on this movie before we dive into it. And Patrick, like we, you know, we were going back because we wanted to have you on for a while and we offered you like a number of movies. And I believe this was like either your first or second choice for the Conjuring series. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, um, 
we had done like a little mini sode when Conjuring 3 had come out. And we mm-hmm. kind of it's usually what we do is we talk about horror movie characters in the order in which they die, which the Conjuring universe is not great for that because very few people very few actually die. Mm-hmm. So we kind of did a but we we like a lot of the movies in there. And I kind of given Annabelle Comes Home a little bit of a short shrift. And I mm-hmm. thought that's not really fair to this movie to kind of call it Scooby-Doo. And I think I even intimated that it didn't have very good characters. And upon rumination, like 10 minutes later into the episode, I'm like, you know what? That's unfair. Annabelle Comes Home has good characters. It does. And that's what kind of drew me to talking about it again, because that's our little drive on our show is horror movie characters. They kind of get a short shrift. They're always viewed as cardboard or temporary. And I think it this film in the lineage here has some of the best attempts at creating new, lasting, interesting, internally driven characters. And that is worthy of conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I'm looking forward to talking about those characters. And I think a couple of the unique reasons why they work, especially when stacked up against the other Conjuring movies. I think they, yes. they are doing something unique and different with the protagonists of this movie that you don't see in the other others. So I'm really looking kind of forward to talking about that. Um, what are your thoughts on the series as a whole? I know I recently listened to the um, part three episode, the mini-sode, and I think you and I are kind of like of similar minds that it's kind of near the bottom of the barrel when it comes to that particular franchise. Like I did not enjoy that movie and I'm looking forward to being scolded in two weeks as to why I'm wrong about that. Well, I I think it has a lot to do with whether or not you're completely on board with the Ed and Lorraine of it all. Mm -hmm. Mm. If if that dynamic 100% works for you, I don't think you're going to find too many things inherently wrong with the movie on the whole. Do I believe it? It is at the level of one or two. No, I don't because the investigations inherent there are, um, they're very linear in a, in a lot of ways. Like we have to get to X, Y, and Z. And the mistake I personally find with three is it takes on a broader, this person can strike from anywhere. They're sort of, they're like a wizard. <laughs> you know, they're like, I'm, I'm stealing into basements in the middle of the night. And it takes on like a police investigation mm-hmm. mode that I found that that is not the flavor of Ed and Lorraine that I mm. personally wish to watch. It's not a, a terrible movie by any stretch of the imagination. I just feel like one and two really, ha- really play with the levels. Well, it, it just, it seems to flow a lot better. And the problem I had with three is it's, it, uh, it takes on a, a mystery element, um, a physical mystery element that I think it fumbles. And as a result, like you have someone who's, newer to the directing chair there than who is usually there. And it just, for me, falls off. That's not the conjuring thing that I want. Mm-hmm. If you remove all the Ed and Lorraine Warren woobity woo out of it, yeah. you know, I like, so I really liked the third one. Um, 
which I probably said every single episode up until now and will continue to say through the next. Um, But I do like, I agree with your supposition. Like, yeah, if you don't buy, like if you buy the Ed and Lorraine of it all, you'll like the franchise and exactly what you said. I do think it's a, it's a marked departure from the formula of the rest that I think works really well. I do think it suffers from one thing that this movie also suffers from that I think we're going to get into where um, the rest of the movies they set up a cinematic universe by virtue of spinoffs happening pretty organically. Um, but I do feel like Comes Home and Part 3 are planning their spinoffs mm-hmm. um, in a like palpable way that I do. Again, I still really love those movies, but I do think that that's their weakness. But then even though I think that's their weakness, I am someone who has consumed said spinoffs sparked by both of those movies and love them mm-hmm. very much. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like... You know, it's like, did you hate the after credit scene in every MCU movie or were you excited because it meant you got more Thor? You know, I don't know. Kind of both. Yeah, this (laughs) one does throw, it throws like four potential spinoffs at it. It's like, Mm -hmm. it it does do that to the point where Annabelle is kind of a side character in her own movie. Yeah. Um, And I'm okay with that. Oh, yeah. I'm totally okay with that. Um, so really quick on the background of this movie, not a ton here when, you know, it's one of the newer movies. I personally love exploring like horror movie within the context of when it comes out. This is probably the most recent of any movie that we've ever covered. Um, Mm -hmm. right. It has to be just by virtue of what we do, I guess werewolves within, but that's only for the patrons, patreon.com slash the bot and the pendulum. Two bucks, get you that episode. Woo! And many others. Every time I pitch the Patreon, an angel gets wings. Um, <laughs> so I think like by 2019, like horror is in a really interesting place because this is auteur horror generation coming up. You have like Mike Flanagan releases Doctor Sleep. You have Eggers releasing The Lighthouse. You have St. Maud is now making the festival circuit and it is getting like a ton of like, this is going to be the next big indie hit. Uh, Midsommar comes out, Us comes out. So you have Jordan Peele releasing his follow-up. Then you have like this other side of horror, which is where like your typical like Friday night, Saturday night, like let's just go see something playing at the local Cineplex crowd goes to see. And there are a lot more of those people than there are like the hardcore horror fans. Like I think we need to acknowledge that. I kind of talked about this in a recent guest spot I did with the Friday the 13th remake. Part of the reason like that movie dropped like a stone after the first week is everyone that wanted to see a Friday the 13th movie went the first weekend. They waited for like a decade for a new Jason movie. After that, it was kind of like there's only so many people that'll go. So you have movies like Escape Room comes out, 47 Meters Down, Uncaged, Ma, crawl all these kind of like pulpy um b movies come out and don't get me wrong like they are fun as hell they are like really like crawl is fantastic i Mm -hmm. love that movie ma is a ton of fun i didn't see the original escape room but the sequel wicked fun like i will go and watch the totally agree escape room 2 was my first movie back in theaters as we all know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i watched escape room for the first time recently and was like hell yeah where do i sign up for more it is a fun movie the second so all of these movies are pulpy b movies but they're kind of like you know disposable to a certain degree um Mm -hmm. 
I, I think, but if you look back at the history of some of the movies that both of us have covered mm-hmm. that would fall into our wheelhouse, they would also be movies you would throw up on a Friday night and young people mm-hmm. would rush there and, 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 and couples would grasp each other in the dark sort of movies. There's really nothing wrong with them. The canon is determined well after, you know, the now. Yeah. So it, there's not to say that down the line, Escape Room will have its own fervent, you know, cult that mm-hmm. will latch onto it and go, this is what turned me on to this kind of movie. Sure. Mm. So um, in, in a lot of ways, it does have to be a push and pull. You need provocateurs. You need people who push the envelope mm-hmm. of horror to do all these wild things. You also need that introductory roll of the carpet in for everyone else who like gets the taste for it and then wants to explore further. I would love everyone to just instantly show up to, to Midsommar. But in reality, that's more of a niche thing that grows over time, as much as I might want it to be the opposite. We yep. need crawls in this world. Otherwise, they'll never get to the other component of it. And we love crawl. Like I, we did it. Yeah, we yeah. did it also in the Patreon. We did too. Yeah, ding, ding, ding. two dollars. You can listen to both of those episodes. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> two bucks. Um, and Michael and Sean Rossman, like they're Boston, they're Boston-based writers. That they we they used to come to screenings. I would do like super nice dudes. Um, you know, I would say like one of the things I like love about the movies we've covered, like the Friday the 13th and the Elm streets, they didn't get super caught up in their own mythology. They're just like, let's go out there and have fun. And they weren't overthinking it. You could say they were underthinking it in a lot of ways, but that's all right. And I would say a movie like Annabelle comes home. It kind of sits right in the middle in that it's like definitely a movie that is geared towards is getting as many eyeballs in front of it as possible. Like it is a fun movie that again, if someone doesn't necessarily love horror movies, but wants to see something a little spooky, spooky, this is a movie you could easily put on for them and it's not going to freak them out too much. I feel like my whole, like I've always described the conjuring movies. And again, it's not a secret as we're however many episodes Mm -hmm. into this, that I'm a colossal fan of the franchise. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've always just described them as like comfort food for me. Like they're really comforting. They're always going to be just as good as I need them to be, to enjoy them. I'm going to go see them in theaters. They're going to be relaxed and, you know, fun for me. So I think I'm like, I'm like of two minds with this franchise where like, yes, they're comfort food, junk food, pretty good. I love them type of movies. The other thing is like what I think is so cool. And I've also said this, I said this when we talked about Saw and about what James Wan um, and Lee Winnell have like really accomplished with these franchises um, is that like they've created modern franchises that we kind of look back and we reflect on things like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street and these like, and Halloween and think of these like long running franchises and like, we lived it. Like we got to live Mm -hmm. Saw and The Conjuring in real time. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't know that these will be, I think Saw will, I don't know how The Conjuring will be reflected upon, you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. I don't know. I think it's like pretty, I think that like we like lived a colossal horror franchise coming out. I think in a much more positive way than Saw will, to be quite honest. Oh, because okay. When I, when I think about this series, you chose violence. That was not condescending. Yeah, I'm just I, like, I maybe. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I, for a couple reasons. I think that like 
number one, there's a cohesion to these franchises that most How franchises have. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I think Saw is an exception. I think Saw does try very hard. To, and you know Saw much better than I do. And that this is not a slight at Saw. No, don't um, worry. I'm totally which, just kidding you. Which, which I know. I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, go on. Anyway, yeah. good luck doing this podcast by yourself. <laughs> no, it looks great around your neck. Keep tying it. What I mean by the cohesion is like James Wan has a say in pretty much all the movies. Yeah, Gary 100%. Doberman. Gary Doberman writes all the Annabelle movies. He writes the Nun. He directs this movie as well. Um, you have Joseph Bashara returning to score this movie after mm-hmm. doing the first two Conjuring movies and Annabelle. So in terms of like the players in this movie, like I love the Nightmare on Elm Street series. It's probably my favorite franchise, but there's like a lack of cohesion aside from like Bob Shea um, in terms of like how those movies are kind of put mm-hmm. together. And I would say like he was a bit, he was more protective of that series than say Frank Mancuso Jr. was of the Friday the 13th movies. Like, mm-hmm. But he, he also it. forced all of those movies into a corner where mm-hmm. they ended up filming without a script yeah. or going into director strikes or going mm-hmm. into writer strikes. Mm-hmm. He, he just would sit on material until the last second. He's like, I don't know. There's a baby. Whip it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and just whip out something. There's a big, and in a, in a certain sense, at least Saw is like constantly creating these gears within gears within mm-hmm. gears within gears. And I think if it's it's something you're into and a mythology you're into, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Mm. And I do believe there's a certain amount of conjuring heads out there who love a good ghost movie, who are into Ed and Lorraine and that mythology and sort of look at the potential of a guy with coins in his eyes and go, I want to see more of that. And that is its own thing. It's there aren't any other ghost franchises quite like this. And one is really interesting in terms of a director to do this and insidious. Like he's come up with three massive franchises. Now, insidious i think those first two movies are crackerjack like you watch them in a movie and he's just playing people like puppets it's be- mm, beautiful like puppets he would love to hear you say he that. Would love I, to hear that here's something he wouldn't love to hear i would love to see james wan support any other director or or person in the the many movies that he creates that is not yet another white guy mm-hmm. it is a litany of like people I would hang out in a room with. And it's like, dude, that's great. But I would love to see a lot more wider perspective of people to come at this universe because here in this movie, you have three individual, pretty cool female protagonists Mm. who are not driven by sexiness or trying to be a badass or any of the other tropes that we fall into. They're just young women who have personal desires, flaws. They're trying to find the truth of themselves and they're unsure of who they can trust. Like it's very internally driven. And I really like that. And I would love to see more of that. And I think the flaws that we see in so many of these extended takes are because we're getting a lot of the same guys who do the same Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, short film. And it shows that they know how to work an audience but I'd love to see a wider array of POVs within this universe that is so rich and you can do almost anything with it. I would just, I would love that. Right. 
I would say that the Conjuring movie, releasing a Conjuring movie is about as safe as a bet as you can possibly have right now outside of the Marvel movies. And I honestly believe even that it's going to be very interesting because I'm watching the trailers for the upcoming Marvel projects. And obviously Scarlett Johansson is like suing Marvel over breaches in her contract. Those movies cost so much to make and so much to market that you're going to see a point of like dwindling returns. Well, Um, I mean, yeah, like we talked about it with Blumhouse and the model of, you know, making movies at a a lower budget. And I think, I mean, gosh, it's probably too um, stressful to consider, let alone break down in this episode. But yeah, we're going to see a colossal shift in the Mm -hmm. film going I film going do... in box office as a moneymaker yeah. and how that's going to shake out it and, remains to be seen. And here's where I suggest that we do that as a Patreon episode, as opposed <laughs> to covering a movie, because you have a fantastic article on when this shift first started with like Wonder Woman 84 mm. and how like it was female filmmakers getting the short shrift on this and how they were going to be held to a different standard. So I would love to talk about the changes in box okay. office a year later. Okay. Um, well, we can talk about that off, off, off okay. air. Right. Um, but this, to my point, this particular movie, it mm-hmm. is weird um, because it blends two particular production styles that um, are a bit of, uh, of a lost art. You have uh, a film that is part of a universe, but it's elastic enough that it can it does not need Ed and Lorraine sitting in it for the entirety mm-hmm. of the time. They can yeah. be extended cameos. Yep. But you also have the dark castle model, which is to build one big set and have almost everything mm-hmm. happen within that set. That was Dark yeah. Castle's nom de plus. They just, they, they, they lived for this particular model. And I don't think doing die hard in a house with ghosts is a bad move at all. And that's kind of why I love this one. Almost the most, I, I think mm-hmm. creation is directed better, but the concept here, I think is pretty genius. Yeah, I think this, agree. yeah. And I think based on the fact that, like, this movie, it makes $231 million on, like, 30000000 million-ish budget, which is, like, high for one of these movies. Um, mm-hmm. That's my point, and, like, you are going to make money on these movies. Take, like, to your point, Patrick, take a chance on some other filmmakers that maybe wouldn't get the opportunity, because, like, there's no way they're going to fail. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no way they're going to, it would be, something would have to go horribly wrong for it to. Um, And I think the smart choice they make here is, you know, as successful as the previous two Annabelle movies are, and as successful as The Nun is, it still brings in the highest box office of any of the, of the Conjuring movies. There's enough, there's a foregone conclusion. Okay. We're going to do another Annabelle, but there's enough kind of like critical in box office pushback, fan pushback saying that like, we don't quite love these movies. Um, And eventually people will turn on them that they're like, okay, what do we need to do this time? Well, based on the popularity of the Warren characters, let's make them more connected to this particular movie. And they, to your point, they get the extended cameo treatment. Um, But let's talk about our heroes. Let's talk about the three young women that are, Ayo and Bob's got balls. Let's talk about the, the three young women in particular, that kind of anchor this movie. Um, 
I love that this movie centers on like two teenagers and a young girl. Mm-hmm. It's the first movie in the series where you don't have like a paranormal expert or a member of the clergy to ward off the big evil. And that kind of makes the movie feel a little bit more dangerous, even if you don't ever believe they're going to kill off one of these young women. Like that's just not how the conjuring movies work, but it does give it that kind of feel that like, Oh, something could go horribly wrong here. Um, And it helps that they're all likable and flawed in their own wonderful, charming ways. It also kind of drags it into a different realm. Like, like you said, there's no member of the clergy. There's no um, Warrens really like they're, there but not really Mm -hmm. um and it kind of drags it into the like the babysitter horror movie which like this movie's not a slasher in any sense and it's nothing like halloween but it kind of takes it there Mm -hmm. like it lets the conjuring franchise go there which is pretty cool yeah i agree because you're um basing it somewhere outside of um i don't know there's there's kind of a little bit of a formula somewhat to a degree of these films like any franchise but there's no hot nun here like i'm happy no <laughs> hot <many>, nun <laughs> the, nun, the nun has a bit of a hot nun problem it's <laughs> only funny because um we had like a conversation about who the titular nun is so the idea that you're saying hot nun and i don't know which nun you're referring to and it could be valak is just kind mm-hmm. of gives me a little sure yeah kind of fun um go on there you know, there's no official paranormal investigator. There's no priest to bring in from the outside. This grizzled character actor in his late fifties, who's got great salt and pepper in his beer. There, there's a little bit like when you see it all together, obviously there's a little bit of a trope that they're building up for themselves, just like any horror franchise. This breaks it up a little bit and mm-hmm. really focuses on where these characters are at. And then when Annabelle starts to is unleashed and and works all of these other demonic haunted entities, cursed objects against everybody, it becomes that that sort of nightmare on Elm Street formula of uh, <laughs> we, we used to call it feel good. Freddy, when he would like help try to help you through your problems by killing yep. you vacation like oh you're addicted to drugs here's drugs oh you don't like your wheelchair your wheelchair kills you and it's like that's not helpful (laughs) freddie you're not helping anybody (laughs) you might be helping the audience a little i don't know it was very odd um but that that is a weird thing that kind of becomes a component in those films and here they're exploiting their personality flaws they're exploiting their past um you know, if you're uncertain about this one element, you're going to be visited by something that personifies that. Annabelle's like this little, you know, playing chess while while our protagonists are for the first two thirds of the movie playing check checkers. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we get their comeuppance, you know, their ability to rise above it all. That structure is different than the other films. And I think it's a very welcome progression here. It just makes it inherently more interesting to have characters that don't just have to say like a bunch of like phrases in Latin and the power of Christ compels you. And then the demon is gone. Like, cause that's the formula in all these movies. Like you say 10 hail Marys and a few phrases in Latin and a few power of Christ compels you and the demon be gone. 
Right. Here no one needs have... to be exercised yep. here. Your right? name gives me dominion over you, demon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, God, I that. love that shit. I can watch it all day long. But you're exactly <laughs> right. You are not incorrect. And I also think, like, kind of on the whole haunted house thing, um, and, like, as we know, like, this is both um, a prequel and also a uh, sequel to the spinoff. Um mm-hmm which is awesome. Oh God, I love that kind of nonsense. And um, what I also think is pretty cool is that we're coming after The Conjuring 2 where we get some time spent in the Warren's house. And so The Conjuring, like the first one, we get to see, you know, the artifact room. We get to see Annabelle in it. And then in the second one, we get to spend some time in their house. But like, we only really see like a couple scenes throughout it. And then now like we're trapped in a set that we've seen as like a side cut scene multiple Mm -hmm. times. And like, that's, that is cinematic universe gold. Like that is so cool. What a yeah, cool it's thing. It's off on the time you invest in it. And to a certain degree, I, I think you're, you're both right uh, coming the way you're coming at this because it, the conjuring universe has benefited in the same way that the Marvel universe has in that you are allowed to come at it from all these different tentacles and you might enjoy an Annabelle more than a conjuring or a conjuring more than an Annabelle or just dig the gothicness of the nun mm-hmm. and be able to enter it through your investment in it. And that builds over time. I like these characters because I've seen them do so many things. I like how ghosts and demons operate within this particular set of rules. And as such, like, that is just smart producing Um, and smart producing doesn't always create great movies. But I think here, aside from the, uh, do you like this ghost? Do you like that ghost? Do you like this ghost? Do you like that ghost outside of that? This, this really works as a concept Mm -hmm. for me. Agreed. Absolutely agree with that. So I'd love to get your thoughts on young Judy Warren uh, played this time around by McKenna Grace. Um, I don't have the actress's name in front of me who played uh, Judy in the first couple movies, so I apologize, but they replaced her, obviously, with a younger woman because they're going back in time, closer to the first con. This takes place, like, basically right after the intro of the first Conjuring movie. Like, they love revisiting that opening scene. It's the third time now we've seen them getting Annabelle. Yeah. Um, but what do we think of Judy Warren here? What do we think of this of this character? I personally really dug her. Yeah, I mean, McKenna Grace is, I feel like at this point, like, yeah, horror icon, let's do it. And she's played, you know, she always plays the younger everything. She's the young Sabrina. She's uh, she's now one of the young women in The Handmaid's Tale. Um, but she's got more credits than that, better credits than that. But um yeah, I think she's good. I think she also was cast well at the right time that she's she's kind of like Lulu Wilson in a way where you see her and you're like, oh, yeah, that's that kid from all those movies. Um, and I think she does a really good job. Yeah, she's um, very soulful in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, you know, that doesn't always translate to work when you're older. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, she was the young Captain Marvel. She was a young Carol Danvers. Oh, yeah. Other, she's young, young everyone. Version. See, there you go. Uh, she's she's young Daphne in in the Scoob movie, which might be the only good part of Scoob. Um, she just has a, a humanity to her. She doesn't come off as a Disney Channel tween, um, and here she's just feels very haunted. And mm-hmm. 
um, unsure of who to trust because who she is, if she says it out loud, she will become even a greater pariah than she already is. So um, you can just feel that aura about her. This movie gives her so much more to do because Judy is very much forgotten in the rest of the Conjuring movies. Like the Warrens literally leave and go to London. Yeah. She's a MacGuffin. Yeah. Like they need to get the Warrens away from the big bad. So, oh, Judy's in danger. Like she has Right. Right. Yeah. So like she's so, so forgotten. And so it's kind of cool to get like, this is Judy's movie. Like the Warrens are gone. Mm -hmm. And this is Judy being like, my friggin' parents have ghosts everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's what McKenna does really well. She sells how hard it must be to be this young girl whose parents are like real life ghostbusters. And they're kind of like a joke. Um, Mm -hmm. You see like the article in the local paper and it's, and she's reading that over her, like while watching captain kangaroo and eating her lucky charms. And she's like, reading it and trying to hide the article from her mom. And like, you can see like when she goes to school, she's like, it's, I've had this day, these days at work, some days where like you open the door before you walk in, you're like, what's it going to be today? And it's immediately that for her. But at the same time, she obviously loves her parents. Uh, That's something that comes through is how much like they do care for one another and how much she loves her mom and dad, but also, um, and she believes obviously what they believe as well, but that doesn't make it any easier. Like I'm sure she wishes that, you know, Ed still drove a bus in the rain, like still did whatever. I don't know what her other career was besides like ghost busting. Um, so finding all the highest necks blouses. Possibly. Uh, Macy's. Well done. Well, and the matching <laughs> ties, the ties to match them. No. Unforgiving her. bun construction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that is honest. a kid. I mean, like if, if that is a kid who is going to eat in an, in an ordinary, in, ordinate amount of shit at school like Mm. oh your parents fight ghosts like fuck off kid like that is a kid that's going to get mercilessly bullied Uh, that's just the way that children work children i work around children all day they are terrible kids are the worst not mine my kid is brilliant but if they don't pick up her character and just give me a movie every two fucking years where well, Ed and Lorraine can't be here, and I have a cadre of like. If you're gonna lean into the Scooby Doo, lean into mm-hmm. the Scooby Doo, and here's the person that I, I I like watching on screen, and I'm sure there would be a ton of people who would just lap up the cult of McKenna Grace mm-hmm. of seeing her hunt her own ghosts on her own time outside of Ed and Lorraine's mm-hmm. purview of what they believe is the right way to do it. Uh, This is an HBO Max series right now. Just right now. Pitch it. Pitch it. Here we go. You could see a side you could see a side quill of this movie where like Judy Warren is has to rescue her parents that have been kidnapped by ghosts and are like tied up at the local lighthouse and she has to like solve the mystery. Yeah Nancy Nancy drew this bad boy. Like you could Nancy drew her for sure. It's funny because, like, even though, like, okay, like, yes, we are all worshiping at the Judy Warren uh, church. I don't know. But um, (laughs) we're all here for her. But, like, this really isn't even her movie, which is Mm -hmm. fun. I think 
I don't know if it's because it's nice to see people that don't have quote powers, maybe not powers, but like power over demons, I guess per se. Cause like, again, we get the babysitter, which like I said, gives us Halloween territory, which is awesome. Um, but we've got just like two gals who just think they're babysitting mm-hmm. the, the quirky Warren family kid. Right. Well, let's talk about one of those babysitters. Let's talk about Mary Ellen, who is played by do 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 do. Um, I'll edit that part out. Played by Madison Eisman. Um, mm-hmm. I gotta tell you, because I did babysitting as a high schooler. Got you know a little would watch the neighbor's kid for a few bucks an hour. This is a lot of responsibility to put on a 17-year-old kid. You're going to do overnight babysitting for one. Like you're responsible for taking the kid to and from school, watching them overnight. And you're doing this in a house where people keep these cursed artifacts one room away from the guest bedroom. Yeah, I, I don't know why they don't pay for, you know, uh, a you, you store it. Yes. Like they, they need a, a, mm-hmm. a, a third location. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For all of this stuff, you just need to keep that under the lock and key that's not in your own right. house. It, it feels, I know they did it, but also I, you know, they were, they were con men. Oh yeah, they were hostages. But let's take that out of it. And I was going to say like that, it depends on what you believe. Like if you're this babysitter and you're like, okay. You know, like. She hasn't seen anything creepy up until this point, and she's kind of yeah. like, you know what? I believe what I believe. I'm here for this kid. This kid's really nice, and I mm-hmm. enjoy taking care of her. Also, you have to think about the time. The 70s was a more of a latchkey kid era. You were just kind of given a bit more responsibility. Mm-hmm. There was not this uh, compelling need to constantly right. watch over you for good or for bad. This is how a lot of kids ended up on milk cartons. But that being said, uh, you know, that is of an era, so that kind of works for me. And and I, I think that she's just driven by this this kind of lonely, haunted kid whose parents are gone all the time. Mm-hmm. She just yeah. thinks, you know, why can't I be a big sister to this nice kid? Mm-hmm. That, that's and her driving the, force. The Warrens don't think it's unsafe either because they keep it in their house. So even if, like, we're not even talking about real-life Warrens, we're talking about movie Warrens. Right, right. The movie Warrens very much believe that they've got this under control. And, like, they say objects aren't haunted. Um, you know, people are, which... Right. Whatever. We can have that fight about it's, this movie. But... Um, <laughs> I don't know how that plays out. But, but like, they aren't... They don't think it's unsafe. Right. So if they did it, if they did, they wouldn't leave their kid. They wouldn't let their kid live in the home with it. Two things about that. Number one, the real life Warrens, for those that don't know, you could actually tour that room. Like you could go for a few bucks and you could actually take a tour and like see the real Annabelle and see the quote unquote cursed artifacts. Like if you had a, an Abraham Lincoln on you, that was pretty much all the protection you needed to ward off the evil spirits in that room. Okay. Like the power of honest Abe kept the evil away. Apparently if you got the nickel tour. Um, so the whole idea of them keeping the room under lock and key is kind of laughable. Um, the other part of it in terms of the movie universe is it's kind of like the keeping a loaded. Like you, if you have a firearm in your home, you keep the bullets away from the gun. If you don't keep them in the gun or mm-hmm. together, the keys are just like sitting out on the desk. 
Like, here are the keys, like, behind it. Well, they do have to look for the keys, kind of. Like, it's it's not, like, exactly under the mat. It's hidden, like, (laughs) just behind a little picture of Jesus. That's really it. It's not even in a desk drawer. You know what I mean? It's like... I mean, but the idea is that, like, who's going looking for it? Mm -hmm. Oh, come on. I when Did did anyone else here babysit? Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, yeah. When you babysat. Did you explore the home when the kid went to bed? Never. Oh, (gasps) I, yeah, yeah, I did. I was that nosy kid that wanted to know like every secret in a person's home. Like that's just, you know, like, sorry, the Irwins, if you're hearing this. Um, It's just just like being a teen. You want to find stuff, you know, especially this is pre-internet like what else and there's only three things on tv like there's not a lot to do and you're in the home like you see they're doing it anyway like you see them in their office like going through all the cases like what's this one the warrens is tantalizing like no i didn't feel the need to go through like rachel's Mm -hmm. mom's computer room like that wasn't Mm -hmm. super exciting for me but like the, I mean, I probably still wouldn't do it, but I would like, it would be like really hard not to. Like, I'd be like, Warren family, take me on a tour before so that it is demystified because otherwise mm-hmm. I will be considering breaking into this yeah. room the whole time that I'm here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I think if I, if I like in real life, like now, yeah. But if when I was like 15, 16, if I was babysitting a kid that had this room, ooh, I don't know. I think it, I, the movie plays into that that compelling element. Now, in and of itself, you know, Mary Ellen is not the type to go snooping. Mm-mm. And so I think the Warrens feel very safe with, with her in the house watching Judy. She has a very centered focus. You know, she's very dedicated. But when we have Daniela enter the picture, we have the wild card that sets mm-hmm. this in motion. And not just out of rampant curiosity. She has a reason beyond just wanting to see creepy things. And that's what really elevates this film, I think, in a way that the surface level reading of it would not give it credit for. She wants access to this stuff for a personal reason. And she could she can't gain access to the knowledge she wants any other way in her mind than to try to find some conduit between her and her father who has passed. And she believes she is at fault for that man's death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's also funny, like thinking about the religious, I don't want to say overtones of this film um, that like Mary Ellen, the nice blonde girl wouldn't do it, but Daniela Rios (laughs) might. Um, But Yeah, yeah, exactly that, though. Like, Daniela is, like, she's motivated by, she's guilt, she's got guilt going on, she's got some grief going on, she's working through all that, and she thinks that, like, this is going to get me closer to that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a good point, you know? That's the tantalizing is much more than just curiosity, for sure. It's, it's bigger than just wanting to steal a car to go off and, and buy tickets to a Kiss concert or wh- whatever. Like... <laughs> It's more than just like it starts off and you think it's just her reading something in the newspaper and wanting to see if it's true. But the reason for wanting to see it's true is if they do hunt ghosts, if they do access, you know, people who have moved beyond, do they have something that will help me contact the beyond? Because 
I, I am walking around as a human ghost. I have unresolved issues with someone who is not here, who cannot say this isn't your fault. And it gives her a more connected emotional reason to want to break into this room beyond, Oh, I want to, I want to throw a a rock at that doll. Like, like a couple weeks ago, there was someone on TikTok who was in that museum and they're just openly berating that Annabelle doll and just yelling at it. Two people like they're on, on, on law and order SVU. (laughs) You're like, what are you doing? Why is this entertaining? What do you, what do you think's going to happen here? Mm-hmm. That is surface level bullshit. I don't need it here. At least they're giving this young actress something to play with a human thing. Like I've lost somebody. It means something to me. Am, am I, am I bad? Am I a terrible person for this one mistake? That to me just brings me in. And then when werewolf ghosts show up, like that's the icing on the cake. Right. And I'm someone that lost my own dad right around that age, a couple years older than that. And my younger sister would have been a couple years younger than Daniela. And you go through a lot like when you're so like there's a moment when like Mary Ellen is like, oh, I don't think the Warrens would like want someone like you in their home. And they're like, why? Because I stay out past curfew a little bit. She's like, oh, yeah, that and other things like if that's the worst you can come up with. Like, OK, you stay out past curfew now and again, like there's a level of like her and her brother being like judged by others and not and Daniela is feeling so responsible for her father's death that she feels like she can't really push back. She accepts the fact that there's just something flawed or inherently bad about her. Um, but what I like about this movie and I like about the way it's done is there's never a moment where I feel like this is a character that deserves to be punished. Like you understand her motivations and you like, you know what I, in this situation, this is what I would do too. Um, even if I'm not a person of tremendous faith, I believe enough to give it a shot. Do you know what I mean? It's like that moment in the Blair Witch Project where they're interviewing the young mom and they're like, well, do you believe in the Blair Witch? And she's like, well, I believe enough to not go in the woods at night. Um, it's that kind of thing where she's like, what's, you know, like I believe enough to at least give this a try. Um, it's the closest, like Daniela is the closest thing that we're going to get to a bad girl character mm-hmm. in any of the conjuring movies. And it's, she, I will say this, like if around that age, like I would absolutely follow this woman around, um, as a high school student and allow her to absolutely rip my heart out of my chest and, <laughs> show me how useless mm-hmm. it is before she stomped mm-hmm. on it like mm-hmm. i also think that the performer like katie sarif she does a fantastic job of selling yeah. the creepier bits of this movie like it, it hinges a lot of the better scares the movie hinge on her reaction to them and i, I think say, yeah wonderful in those moments i agree so much of the movie is the camera in her face and mm-hmm. she's she does a really good job of being like scared and haunted, but also like sad and haunted. Like yeah. you, like, even though there are moments where you're like, Oh, you're being so stupid. Why would you do that? You see kind of why she would mm-hmm. do that. And she does a good job of like being like sad and scared and just like haunted in every direction, which I think yeah. is really cool. Yeah. I don't have a lot on Bob's got balls. Just that <laughs> That's pretty cute. much. That's it. He's cute. Yeah. He's yeah. cute. He looks like he's 10 years old, which is bizarre. Um, 
He's a little and, feeble. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, he comes and goes in time for this hero moment. He does mm-hmm. have a cool hero moment. That outside mm-hmm. seems pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, you it, have though. to have the crush that shows up to save the day sure. for a second. And it's very and he's not the hero, which is nice. Yeah. Yes, he's and, not. He's not the. You know. Yeah. He's not the the. He doesn't solve every problem. Yeah. Uh, it's okay for him to solve a problem. Yeah. But we really see these three young women uh, find the wherewithal within themselves to solve these problems in motion, mm-hmm. and that is something that not all of these films, though they're not just they're simply not designed to do. They're they're puzzle boxes unto themselves. I'm a young nun. I'm in this very gothic castle. All these nuns I'm supposed to be hanging out with are dead. What the hell's going on? And you know, I'm a it's young a nun. There's some hot nuns around. Yeah, <laughs> no hot nuns. Um, <laughs> Not nearly enough. He he gets the best laugh in the movie at the end when they're like, you all right? It's like, no, I'm not all right. It's a fucking werewolf out there. You know, like, that's yeah. good. That's great timing. Um, here's my question. Have either of you ever serenaded, serenaded someone you've been into or been serenaded? I have been serenaded. Did it work? No, it's the most awkward fucking thing on mm-hmm. earth. Where, where, where do you look? What do you do while that's right happening? In their dead eyes. It's <laughs> honestly an absolute nightmare. It's like not cute. Don't do it. There's a reason at a restaurant when the band comes by, you're like, oh my God, please don't please stop go. here. It's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't mind uh, going up on stage and making people laugh, mm-hmm. but I, I have zero desire to have someone personally trying to entertain me or move me via song mm-hmm. like the the ultimate example of that is scream 2 where you can just oh. feel the everyone cringe inward like their mm-hmm. their bones are breaking like it's a very okay. real moment and it's played for that and yes. while it does resolve itself in a positive way because the point of that is not to see what i'm doing so great it's like I'm willing to embarrass myself and make myself the embarrassing mm-hmm. thing so that people aren't focusing on you. Mm-hmm. It's and the can hardly wait serenade. And that's a completely different serenade. Yeah. That's that. Wait, can't hardly wait. It's the 10 things I hate about you is what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. That's a completely different serenade. But like the, like I'm going to bring my guitar to your lawn and sing at okay. you is one of the worst things you can do. Like, any young woman who saw this in a movie and thinks that it might be romantic in real life, let me just tell you right now, it's not. It is the worst, what, three minutes? Feels like six hours. Mm-hmm. You'll experience while sitting still. It sucks. Yeah, um, it, <laughs> yeah. I, Mike, I, I, have I, you ever serenaded anyone before? So, two oh, yeah. things. So twice. So oh my God. Time, yes. so, so the two first swings time, at the bat. No, this, Thank God this you're married. Hopefully you won't have not, a third. So this is... I once had the whole crowd at the Tell Your Right Horror Show serenade Jonathan Barkan for his birthday. Okay. It uh, wasn't his birthday, by the way. Completely it different. Was like, it was the closing movie, and he was up on stage. We're introduced, and I go, by the way, it's been a great fest. It's John- Mr. Barkan's birthday. Let's sing. He's like, what? And I'm like, let's sing a happy birthday. And he was like, what the fuck are you doing right now? And it, it was great. But in sixth Hilarious. grade, sixth grade, I definitely sang to a young her name was Karen. I'll just say that was her first name. I won't say anything else, just in case. 
definitely saying Van Halen's How Do I Know When It's Love to this woman. No, no, it was why, um, yeah, How Do I Know When It's Love to her. Gave her a little teddy bear. It did not work. This girl hated me. Hated me. So it was... The, the ways I, of vicarious embarrassment. I think I even right wore like a fedora-esque hat. Oh my God. I mean, it was <laughs> so cute. I and also the like swing. stage is less bad too. The like big colossal gesture is less bad because like, yeah, okay, it's embarrassing and it feels way worse. Like lots of people all paying attention to you seems much worse. But at least there's like another audience to be a part of this nightmare mm-hmm. with you. The like one to one or like one to three, like a couple of your friends are around. Mm. Oh my God. Okay. How about the boombox moment and say anything? It could go either um, way. I think it's a little funky. At least you can converse. You can you can be like, oh, okay. this is like a cute, exciting moment. Because that um, song had some resonance for that couple mm-hmm. as well. So I had yeah, the same that's... dude tried it two times. I was very, it was like grade nine, I think. One time at my window and then later like in my living room. And I was like, these are both like just colossally a fucking nightmare for me um, and professionalism doesn't uh negate it at all there's one particular uh lead singer singer songwriter that whose work i really really enjoy but a friend of mine who's also in the music industry was serenaded uh in his uh hotel room by him and she describes it as being like a prison of song (laughs) like she couldn't get out of it and, <laughs> that's what it's like. That's actually prison of song. This guy's fucking great. Like he is. It doesn't I'm matter. Not going to it's irrelevant. Him, but he is a fucking great songwriter and singer. And even that level of professionalism does not remove the vicarious dogma of embarrassment <sighs> that comes with this profoundly un interesting and embarrassing gesture it just don't (laughs) do it don't do it there's a moment in um the rules of attraction which hot take we won't get into it but in it's a movie and uh there's a bit where james vanderbeek's character is like trying to seduce a woman and it like just like blows through his seduction tactics really quickly and like over like there's like narration over it and there's just like a couple seconds of him being like playing a guitar and it's so funny because in the movie it totally works, but all of his seduction is actually like pretty bad. It's just like she's a horned up college chick and he can, he like is pontificating about his like methods and she's just like, yeah, dude, shut up. Like we're going to yeah. phone. You can put your guitar yeah. away. You sound like an asshole. <laughs> and it's just this like really so getting subtle. getting in the way of your penis. Let's, yeah. Uh, let's it's just like this. really like a subtle joke that like I feel like um, a certain breed of dude would watch it and be like, mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. And like a girl is like, oh God, yeah. If James Vanderbeek <laughs> wants to get down, like all he has to do is arrive. We're just like, right. is he finished with his guitar? God, how long do I have to pretend to like this? It's very yes. cute. It's a very funny moment. What is the, I'm trying to think what it was. Like there's that movie where, she, where the woman is like, look, here's what's going to happen. Like we're going to bone. You're going to leave in the morning. Like she approaches him at the bar and then she has like a convulsion. Like she can't go through with it. I'm trying to think if we actually oh. covered that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, shit. Now I'm like, forget it. All right. I'm blanking. I'm blanking as well. Um, all right. So let's move on. Let's talk about, I think the, the villains of this movie and the scares, the creepy, the creepy sequences that really stand out here. Cause I think they're tied in together. I think the two 
characters that really jump out and the ones where you're like, okay, if there are going to be spinoffs, these are where they're going to come from. There is the ferryman mm-hmm. and the, and there is the bride. And I think they're responsible for, I feel like two of the best sequences in the whole. The bride movie. sequence is one of the scariest. I mm-hmm. love the whole setup, uh, like how she appears. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really scary. And then I think the ferryman is the most like memorable character. Yeah. yeah. Because the, the bride sequence she arrives on the scene similar to that sequence with a nun in the conjuring two in that in the nun in the conjuring two, you see the shadow of the nun walk around the perimeter of the office, appear behind the painting and then come rushing out. This one ups it by including like depth of field by incorporating the mirrors, by incorporating the windows. Like it's just, it's inherently creepy. But what I really love about, the sequence is you're introduced to her a little bit before that you have Daniela in the cursed object room and in the background you just see the mannequin of the bride and in the foreground you have Daniela kind of looking around and I've seen how these movies work I've watched a horror movie before and I've seen how the conjuring movies work you're waiting for that to move even if it's just subtle and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting but it never does. Mm-hmm. And then a few, the next scene or shortly thereafter, that's when the character makes its introduction in a really fantastic kind of moment. Yes. And I think it's an interesting character because it feels like such a big swing. Cause like you said, that sequence is really similar to the nun. The character's stature is really similar to the nun. Um, and you're also coming off of insidious where the black bri- black bride, the Black Bride. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Isn't yeah. she a widow? I thought it was like an Italian widow sort of situation with the Black Bride. In this one. Oh, in this mm-hmm. one. Wait, what are you saying? I was saying the insidious ghost that's similar or demon. It feels no. like that's more of a, a widow look. It's supposed to be a, a Oh, bride? yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's definitely Bride. It's definitely a yeah. Bride name. I'm pretty sure it's the Black Bride, and for some reason I'm questioning myself. But in any event, a similar enough character that is evocative of the character from Insidious and evocative of the nun, but still manages to kind of stand out on her own. Um, Yep. And also, like, similar in design, and again, I know these movies aren't technically connected, but similar in design to the demon in the curse of la rona like also dressed in white true also very like in a veil and yeah Mm -hmm. very true and ferryman while it's a it's a very original design the concept of what's making the ferryman work is very similar to the clap game it's an internal clap Mm -hmm. game instead of the clapping or instead of the baby monitor gag in the first insidious we have the coin drops and the mm-hmm. coin drops act as that sound cue connected to, I can't see exactly where this is happening that builds that tension up. It's a, a smart heightening or crystallization of the same kind of idea without blatantly mm-hmm. repeating it, uh, knowing that this kind of gag will work. Mm-hmm. 100%. And then 100%. It's also based in like some real mythology, which is pretty yeah. cool. Um, 
And it also, speaking of spinoffs, um, in The Conjuring, The Lover, the comic book, which I've talked about, I talked about on our three up for sure. And I think I've mentioned it throughout this series. Um, the There is like a two page short story by Scott Snyder, whose name I yell pretty often. Um, and Scott Snyder did a story about the ferryman. Um, and it's just like a really excellent one, two punch um, short story. And I think... What I really like about that is because, like I said, this movie kind of suffers from, oh, they're creating a bunch of spinoffs, they're creating a universe, they're introducing a bunch of characters. And the ferryman, you can kind of picture like, if they make this into a movie, it's going to be this coin gag for 90 minutes. Like this character seems like it has the most meat, mm-hmm. but other than like a spinoff, that's like a probably not going to be a very great take on the real mythology. Where is it going to go? And I think this like two pager from Scott Snyder is like exactly where it should go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you're just like, yeah. oh, Okay. We'll follow it the bride seem later like a instead. Fire sale on ideas here. Yeah. That being said, I think they work best in these sort of short bursts because I don't mm. think you could make an entire feely mealy movie, right? No, for sure not. Well, but I do think Ouija, that Ouija gag movies. works in this movie. I don't think you can make an entire television, uh, sh- you know, particular uh, movie with just that gag. Within this film, I really feel like that sequence works for me and feels frightening and feels like someone's sanity is becoming unmoored and that is a a frightening concept to kind of get lost in something that's very evocative, the sort of hypnotism sequence and get out where your sense of self and control is stripped from you like that. That gets that gets me going. That's a fear. That yeah, grabs on, and uh, I don't think this is as um, wham bam, uh, you know, spectacular at scare sequences the way the first and second Conjuring film do, or the way that creation works for me. But that being said, I think they made the most out of how they built the concept yeah. and how they use these individual components to make more than just a. Um, here's the law. Here's all the cars we have in the car lot. Which one do you, you're going to drive off in one of these babies. Which one is it going to be? I've described the scares in the conjuring movies as like Nirvana songs and that they're like quiet verse, quiet verse, explosive chorus. And this movie I think goes quiet verse, quiet verse, quiet chorus, quiet bridge. Um, it is very confident in what and how it's going to manipulate the audience the i think the best sequence of the movie is that sequence with the ferryman that occurs about an hour and 10 minutes into it and what i really like about this character is like the stillness of the ferryman like he just happens to be in the background for a lot of these things and just his presence is like his his willingness to not move act because he doesn't need to make some creepier because the ferryman in the mythology, like he's the one that takes you over the river sticks. Like he leads you to the afterlife and there is inevitability to that character. Like he doesn't have to move because he can wait you out because there's one fate that binds everybody. Like we're all going to die one day. We're all going to meet the ferryman at one day. So I actually timed it out from when that sequence starts to when it ends. And it's like six minutes and yes. 10 seconds long. And it's long and scary. Yeah. It and it's tense throughout all of it, starting with like 
the voices in a tape recorder will be one of those things that always gets under my skin, especially when they start kind of warbling a bit. Um, most Same. movies, yeah, most movies don't have the patience or the confidence to let a scene play out for six minutes without a lot of payoff. Um, there are things like at one moment, like there's a spirit that is just out of Mary Ellen's sightline. Like she doesn't see her, what we do reminiscent of like the children in sinister that are kind of like ducking in and out of Ethan Hawke's. So where he knows something is there, we know something is there, but we don't have to like have them jump out and do spooky, spooky. Um, just like the coins rolling and like where it's, there's not even a lot of score to this scene like it's actually not until about four minutes in you get hints of the score the only sound you really get are the footfalls and the coins rolling and even when you get the reveal of the ferryman it's just the eyes it's just the coins when she pans up on her flashlight there's nothing there and i think that's actually scarier than just like boogity boogity monster like the jump scare at the end is kind of like the cherry on top but everything before that is what makes that scene really work it's audacious. Like there's, there's so much gall to the scene like that. Like you said, it breathes for six minutes, which is truly out of control. And um, again, like you watch it and it's, it also like, you know, we don't have the ferrymen in our like, you know, we're not like practicing ancient Greek mythology. Like it's, it's not, of our world and universe. And so it feels in a lot of way, like a departure from the movie, like Mm -hmm. feely mealy feels within the movie. Um, And this doesn't, this feels like its own thing, which is why it like made you think like, Oh, this is going to be a long spinoff. But it's like, no, we're going to do it right here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're going to do this here. And that's very audacious. Um, There's a, the nice thing about recent phenomenon within horror has been the, this is the sort of reason you're you're desperate for theaters to come back in that theatrical experience, which are films that force everyone in the audience not to be screaming at the top of their lungs, yeah. but not say anything for fear that you will get the protagonist on a screen that you know is a movie killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is don't breathe. This is a quiet place. You saw it work in Halloween it works here. Like people are obviously picking up on this, this, this feeling of if you have a group of people, it is one thing to make them all scream at the same time. But if you, you can't do that for 90 straight minutes, but if you can make people like, I don't know if I want to open up my package Mm -hmm. of red vines for fear that that noise will get a fictional person on a, pre-filmed movie killed like you're manipulating people in a whole different sort of way and it's it's an (laughs) inversion of the horror trope rather than the regular jump scare jump scare jump scare and i think it's a it's going to be interesting to see how a lot of these films age not because they are not produced well but because from now on they will mostly be seen in people's homes where they don't feel the pressure of being surrounded by strangers to stay quiet or stay focused. And that is where you're going to get people to go. I didn't think this was scary at all. The way people Mm -hmm. are like, I don't think the nightmare in Elm street. I don't think the exorcist, I don't Mm -hmm. think alien. None of these things work for me because they're watching them in their home without any external stimuli to vibe off of. And it's a lot easier to just go, 
get in the spaceship ripley like why are you going it's back true there? there's like it's the cool. combined of like like again in a quiet place your theater is all being quiet together which was like mm-hmm. i mean we could talk about a quiet place but i don't want to but um of that like communal experience of everybody with their popcorn like can i eat this yeah. right now mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um yeah when, when it's you a can... real interesting change of pace yeah. that uh i I I wonder how it will age because when it in the theater it works like gangbusters. Yeah, and when you can put your popcorn down on the coffee table and then pause it to take a bathroom break, like you do lose, you definitely do lose something in that experience. Um, and I think you're right. I think that horror can be scary at home when you're alone, when the lights are drawn. Um, it can definitely work. And there are movies, I think there are some movies that even work better at home. Oh, yeah. like, I think like paranormal activity works better at home, yeah. um, which I'm surprised by. Uh, I, I like notoriously it, like better at home. Oh yeah. I like notoriously like pick movies. Like I, Oh gosh, although I haven't done it in a while and I'm going to need to, mm-hmm. where I try to pick like for me, horror has always lived in my like rainy Sunday afternoons. And that's always mm-hmm. been like, a huge part of where horror lives for me. Of course, there were the like communal experiences seeing Joyride and, you know, those mm-hmm. things in theaters and whatever. But um, I would always do that. And so when I, especially when I started writing about movies and talking about movies more and being involved on the internet about movies, I was like really missing my like quiet Sunday afternoon rainy movie watches. So I would like try mm-hmm. to pick a movie where I would like mute it on all social media, completely pull myself out of the conversation and just like wait until it was available at home and watch it then. And like, truly, there's a few experiences like that. So as much as like, mm-hmm. I obviously love theaters and I'm so that person who's like, no, save the theater in every direction. Mm-hmm. I do think there is still a lot of magic to watching horror movies at home alone. Agreed. Agreed. Um, last question regarding the ferryman and the scare. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're a sales rep or you manufacture flashlights. How much okay. do you hate horror movies? Because oh, every, I... your industry is getting a very bad rep. And I would feel like I'd be very angry if I hung my hat and put food on the table by making flashlights for a living. Are you kidding? As a horror movie fan, I always have a flashlight around. Um, I do think that they tend to beget danger, uh, but darkness is more scary. Mm-hmm. And I do not rely on my phone torch. You've got to have light around you got to be making I, reliable flashlights that don't just like flick off and the battery gets yeah. loose. <laughs> yeah. I, feel I think like the rechargeable era is probably it, its own thing. I mean, whenever we make these technological leaps, they, they present a bigger problem. But again, this is the advantage a conjuring universe has when it's in set in the late sixties, early seventies is you, you don't have to worry about all of those things. You mm-hmm. can, it can be of its time. And you're like, yeah, D batteries probably from 1974 had a shelf life of like 30 clicks on probably <laughs> incredibly wasteful. So yeah, it, it works for, that and now you kind of just have to be a bit more clever than Mm -hmm. it or not worry so much about someone trying if if someone has enough time to nitpick that element of it they're not engaged with the Mm -hmm. media that they're ingesting anyways 
I think it's a subtle dig at me right there, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> oh, listen, man, I've been in this for five years, mm-hmm. picking apart horror movies. Believe go. me, uh, that is just a mirror reflecting back at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I make my biz on the weirdest components mm-hmm. of horror movies. Oh, I'm um, like a notorious nitpicker. I think there's a difference between having a lot of fun nitpicking and then like ruining movies for yourself yeah. by nitpicking. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think why this movie works for me, and we'll talk like the last thing we'll talk about is I think like Daniela in the in the cursed object room. But why this movie works for me as a whole is that it feels like an interactive haunted house experience. Like totally. I could easily see this movie as like you go, you pay your money, you get handed the flashlight, and you're given like objectives, and you have like the feely mealy game. You have this cursed object room. You have like the phone call that you have to answer. All of these things you have, like the opening up the closet and having it be like the kind of like guided, you know, that little lantern and then having like the coffins. Um, this feels like a such a well done interactive haunt experience. And I want that. Um, yes, I, I, yeah, I agree with you completely. And it just sparked a moment that I wanted to mention. That's all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I think I think we talk about this at some point, um, but the like you know there's like the certain tropes or not even tropes certain like things that really scare you and get under your skin that we all have and one that always gets under my skin is when you think you're safe and you're not which is why like mm-hmm. Oculus absolutely messed me up. Um, they play with it in the vigil; it totally messed me up. Um, and it happens in this movie where you think you're talking to Lorraine and that's not yes. Lorraine. And like, even just bringing it up to you, like, I feel like I'm going to gag, like even just like saying mm-hmm. it, I'm like, Ooh, like, yeah. and it's so cool because it's like also her voice. Yes. That's why that works. <sighs> and it's just like, Oh my God, it makes me feel sick. Just even bringing it up to mm-hmm. you that I can't even like say the quote. Cause I don't think I can get it out without right. barfing. Like it's, to me, that is so <laughs> scary. Yeah. Woo. Even the scary. The tem- the the television scare where oh, you have yeah. you have and I think what's the creative choice they made that makes this just sends it over the top is it's not mirroring exactly what Daniela is doing in real time. It is about five seconds ahead. So when the character on the television screen looks behind her before oh my God. Daniela in real time does, you're asking yourself why is she looking behind her right now? Why is she checking behind her right now? So you know to be afraid before it's even time to be afraid. And it's just so well done. Sickening. Um, yeah. And just the, and just being in that room and you just, you do want to kind of go through object by object and you get a real, and just the, even the exorcism scene in this movie, it's cool a creative way of doing it where earlier on they're watching the projected the the eight, eight millimeter 16 the eight millimeter home video and they're like okay we probably shouldn't watch this and it's right in the middle of an exorcism scene and what do they do to have that scene in this movie they go back to it um and it's the projected image with like daniela as possessed in front of it and it just works so it's a nice little touch it's a really cool way to bring it in it adds to it and it just again it made it feel like more interactive i think as a movie totally yeah, i totally I agree. agree there's there's a lot of construction we earlier in this episode we were talking about things like escape room and saw and you know you put together the mechanics of this in a very deliberate manner so that you set something up you build it up you pay it off there's a satisfaction to that 
And when you give an audience that satisfaction, it, it builds a rapport. They want like, all right, like you promised me something and you said, Hey, I'm going to bring pizza over. And you didn't show up with like mm-hmm. wet empanadas. And that's, you know, I'm not going to bring anybody down, but there are, there are films that say, Hey, let's have pizza. And they bring you anything, but mm-hmm. you're kind of like, well, yeah. we kind of made a promise here with one another. I'm going to watch this and you're going to give me something. And when you don't give me that or anything that approaches that or even a twist on it, I'm not going to end up satisfied out of this. And um, this movie could have fallen into that trap. And there's a couple in this franchise that I feel do. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't one of them. Agreed. Yeah. That, I, and I think that's a, as good of a place as any to kind of give our like last thoughts on this movie. I think we've kind of hit all the points that we wanted to cover here. I'll say like, I love the pizza delivery guy in this movie. He shows up for one scene. He's amazing. I would definitely watch a franchise of just this dude delivering pizza and delivering like sage advice and romantic tips along with like stealing slices of pepperoni and hearts along the way. Okay. So that's your HBO pitch. That's my (laughs) HBO pitch is the pizza dude from Annabelle comes home just like delivering pizza, stealing slices. I love he's like, by the way, you're missing a slice. I ate it on the way. I ate on the way. Ballsy move. Like totally like, so, and totally, I was, and I got lost in my head a little bit. I'm like, was pizza delivery a thing back in the seventies? I thought it was started in the eighties, but I love this dude. I just think he, he's like, you got a wooer. Like he's just like, and he's not a dick in his advice. He's like, you got a wooer, man. You got a wooer with rock and roll, you know? And like, <laughs> He's like, I'm a couple years older than you. Yeah. I've smoked weed before. Yeah. yeah it, it has a, a very, if you, if you want to, if you want to get with her, you know, Led Zeppelin four side, there a you go. sort of advice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Patrick, what are your final thoughts on this movie? Um, I, uh, I think this is a really solid effort. There is a lot here to really like, and I'm always an advocate for horror movies that invest in their characters. I think that is where I, whether they show up for five minutes of screen time or they're there from the first to the last, if they have a a real human emotional want or need, they instantly become more interesting. And I care whether or not they get out of a particular Mm -hmm. situation, Even, even if they're, um, you know, designed to be uh, the bully or the mean girl, I need a bit more than just their trope. Yeah. And this movie invests in the these three main characters a lot. They have an internal life that is interesting and compelling. And uh, I just don't think that's uh, something that comes across in every Conjuring universe outside of Ed and Lorraine. It, it just, yeah. sometimes it's there. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it isn't as important, but obviously the main franchises here have been the Ed and Lorraine show. And then they get a bit more tropey on some mm-hmm. of the fringes here. Uh, this is a real investment in characters. And uh, I, I, I really enjoyed both the performance and the, and uh, the end result of, of seeing those characters in this particular problem and seeing them work their way out of it. Agreed. Lindsay, how about yourself? 
Yeah, I mean, I really like this movie. I think it does a lot of things really well. Like we talked about it being an interact. Like I really love the way you described it as an interact upon a house because totally. Um, I think it's fun. I think it sets up a lot. Um, again, it could kind of suffer from the fact that we spend time on the Hellhound and the Samurai and the Bride and all these characters, and you know, you want more and you expect the movies kind of teasing that. Um, but I also think it does a really good job adding to the Annabelle mythos in a way that lets Annabelle sit on the sidelines, but also continues to develop her. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, like even, you know, I quipped earlier about like, these are haunted objects, but like Annabelle as a beacon for evil spirits is a cool extension of what she does and who she is. Um, and yes, I personified her and I think that it manages to, um, give and add more to her and let it still be an Annabelle movie while being like, you've seen enough Annabelle and we're going to sideline her for now, which I think is cool. Yeah. yeah. I'd say really quick to build on what Patrick said, a lot, what a lot of horror movies seem to get wrong is when they deliberately give you characters that are all unlikable and mm. they do it for the reason that they think the audience is now going to root for seeing those characters killed. And that's going to be the fun. And it's okay to have a character like that. Like to have like a Trent in the Friday the 13th remake is a good example of a character you can't wait to see die. I don't want to see a movie with a half dozen Trents. I want to see characters that I like. I want to see characters that I can see myself in. And I want to see characters that I root for. And I want to see them escape. And if they don't escape, I want to feel something when they don't. Um, this movie gets the four characters, especially the three young women, it gets them pitch perfect. I also think that conjuring movies as a whole are more interesting when they deal with the, the victims, when you're dealing with the Perone family, when you're dealing with the family in uh, England that is getting haunted, when you're dealing with what these young ladies are going through and when they're focused exclusively on Ed and Lorraine, I think the movies become less interesting, which spoiler alert, that's going to be my biggest complaint about the conjuring three. Um, this works. And this actually may be out of all of the movies in the series. If there's one I'm going to revisit most often, it's going to be this one because mm. it's just a lot of fun from start to finish. Doesn't help that it comes in at under two hours as well. That definitely helps. That's what it doesn't overstay. For. It's welcome. Yeah. No. So, Patrick, before we mm -hmm. kick you out, before you overstay your welcome, for yeah. that note. Um, <laughs> I probably did about 13 rants no, uh, before please, now. But yeah. Please, we go long here. You know, we That's go, why we brought you on. Yeah, <laughs> we go We want. We we go long on this show. Um, but what's going on with Kill by Kill? Like, you, what do you have coming up? I mean, five years. That is something. It's crazy to think about. Um, it's been a wonderful uh, island in the storm of the events of all of our <laughs> lives that we're all invested in. And, and it is, it's, it started out as a lock lark. You know, my wife said, please find somebody else to talk about Friday the 13th with mm -hmm. I love you. I'm done. And luckily I, I met Gina, uh, you know, through a Facebook group for another podcast and she just had a similar feeling about how these characters are so weird and odd. And I never really foresaw continuing to do it beyond the Friday the 13th series, but that took two and a half years. Yeah. So um, it's, it's pretty wild to, to think about. And uh, now I feel like 
we're just finding the weirder ends of it, uh, of, of, of characters coming up. We, we talked about, uh, Amityville 3d, a movie that no one remembers, but it is so wild. The internal dynamic of each of these characters and, uh, we're exploring where we're going to take it next, but we've been talking about scream. Uh, we're going to be talking about scream four here in the fall talk about a movie franchise that is rife with interesting characters. And of course, uh, Mike, you, you joined us uh, for, uh, for Scream 3. And Lindsay, I'd love to have you on for Scream I'm 4. Go- I will come. Okay. I, I botched my scheduling last time, but I promise. I, I, I feel you will bring a lot to it. Um, and maybe it's just fortuitous that it is happening yeah. now because uh, Scream 4 is one of those things where the tide is turning on it mm-hmm. in terms of perception and how people discuss it. So um, if you like the weird elements, the goofy background details of horror movies, something as professional as Annabelle come home, Comes Home does not have it. All of its background details are very planned. But when you get into some of these older movies, they are slapdash. They yes. are, you know, built on 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 a balsa wood in a dream. And we enjoy exploring that stuff. And we have found some very weird horror movies to talk about that are just outside the mainstream of, of franchises now that I think are, are very interesting and uh, on our off weeks, we talk about one of the greatest horror horror TV shows of all time, Hannibal. Mm. Yeah, uh, and mm. on Dish by Dish, that has uh, been a really enjoyable journey to, yeah, to listen I, to that. I, I just want to keep pressing play, and I have to hold yeah. off because I know, <laughs> I I you know you you can't just dive into it, but there it is such a a great show, and uh, I'd love for more people to discover Hannibal, or at least discover that someone's talking about it because. As odd as it is, I think we might be the only Hannibal podcast out there. Possibly. If you know of anyone else, I haven't found it yet. So uh, we're the only game in town, baby. So Can I just commend you on spinning kill by kill into the title dish by dish? I mean, (laughs) 10 out of 10. Thank you. Great work on that. I love that. I'd say the best shows, like the best movie podcast to me, when I'm done listening to something, what they do is they make me want to revisit or visit that movie again or that show again. And I found myself pulling out like my Hannibal box set, like listening to the first few and like doing a rewatch of that show um, because you. I'm like, it just got so jazzed up, like hearing someone speak so passionately and so knowledgeably about it. And what I love about kill by kill is the humor. Like you don't take yourself to you bring it tr- both bring a tremendous amount of knowledge and passion, but don't take, every movie like it's sacred text um, it, we people don't come to us because we're yeah. fonts of information right. let's put it that way we're, so, we're digging uh, out the weirdest possible details mm-hmm. of a movie yep. you know a lot of people talked about nightmare on elm street but i had never seen that kitten dressed like magnum pi hanging on the outside of a trolley car in San Cat Francisco mm-hmm. before this particular watch. It was never meant to be seen. It was never meant to be mm-hmm. discussed for as long as we did, but it's beautiful. I love all the weirdness of these movies and uh, it, we it just, that's our niche. Yeah, there are that. so many great podcasts out there. So many wonderful perspectives are being brought to the table 
finally, this is great. But if you're looking for the weird, if you're looking for the minor, if you're looking for the dorky, please come to Kill by Kill and check us out. And where can they find Kill by Kill? Oh, anywhere, any podcatcher, you just put it in. And once you get past all the other podcasts that have Kill in the title, which seems to be every other single one, once you put the buy in, we're the only game in town once again. You're competing with a lot of wine moms when it comes to having kill as the first. <laughs> yeah. A catch and kill really took over mm-hmm. our top spot yeah. as well. And an important work to be done there. Mm-hmm. But seriously, we lost our top spot almost immediately yeah. in terms of putting kill into a search window mm-hmm. uh, for podcasts. But uh, yeah, we have a huge bark back catalog. And if you love Friday the 13th, you love Nightmare on Elm Street, we've got plenty for you mm-hmm. to listen to. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on. We definitely want you on again. We definitely want Gina on. We need to get her on this show. I know she's been on psychoanalysis with us and we need to get her on here as well. So it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. So Lindsay, what's shaking? What do you got going on? It is festival season, babies. Um, It is festival season. You can find me all over those. Uh, and I'll see you again in November. Just joking. I'll also be here, but I will be saying again, potentially in November, who knows anything can happen, but, uh, I am currently, depending when you listen to this, um, at the Fantasia internet or the Fantasia film festival, um, we'll be rolling right through. So I'm doing that. You want to keep up with me, uh, Instagram and Twitter, mostly Twitter, smash Travis, S M A S H T R A V E S. And Mike's going to tell you about where you can find our podcast and himself. You can find our podcast everywhere you get your wonderful podcast. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean. We are everywhere. Auto, I think we're on Amazon now as well. Everywhere you get your podcast, the pod and the pendulum is available. You can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian uh, over on the Twitter machine. You can find our show's Twitter at pod and Pend over on the old tweet machine. We have a Facebook group, facebook.com pod and the pendulum. Um, and you can find our Patreon page. Again, quick pitch, patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum, where we post a bonus episode every month. We have our three ups where we give you our recommendations. And Lindsay and I, we've been trading some notes back and forth. So I think probably within by the next episode, we'll be able to announce like once we hit a certain dollar amount, like this is our, these are the things we're going to add to the Patreon to deliver more context. We, I, you know, want to add more to it and we've got some ideas, but we also want to make sure like Lindsay is one of the busiest people I know. Um, and we want to make sure it's worth our while um, supporting the show. I mean, basically it allows us to buy the movies, the research materials, the equipment, pay for the recording, pay for the hosting. Um, A lot of people that have gotten, like a lot of like celebrities have gotten into podcasting and they bring their marketing team and their followers. And like, we're a tiny little indie podcast that really could use the support. So a couple bucks would be great. You can also find my other show, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast with Jen and Lara. Everywhere you get your podcast, we talk about horror movies through the lens of mental health. That This has been our episode on Annabelle Comes Home. We'll be back in a couple weeks. I think a pretty good guess, I think, if we can get a finalize. But we have, like, a person that is going to be all Team Lindsay, and they are going to school me on why The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, is better than I think it is. Right. Have a good one, everyone.
excellent. Thank you so much, Patrick. 